This is a story about someone working through mental illness with the whole world watching. Is depression funny? Yeah, I think it can be. I think that it it definitely can be. I think that lately I've been thinking of my OCD as 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 somebody in my head and and my depression as well as as someone in my head that's just, you know, people who like really try to shock you, mm-hmm. but are just just end up coming across as really boring. You know, you're the worst and you're terrible and you suck and everybody hates you forever. And I'm just like, wow, like who pulled you out of like a 2002 hot topic? <laughs> like, like, yeah, like, OK, OK, like, yeah, it's like this teenage edgelord in my brain, you know, uh-huh. and I think when you can think of it like, what if you do something terrible? Like, you know, what if what if you light the house on fire? It's like. I'm not going to do that. Why are you making me think of that? That's stupid. (laughs) It's the hilarious world of depression. I'm John Moe, and we're going to make some very cute movies significantly less cute. I'm Mara Wilson, and right now I am in L.A. Mara Wilson is a writer and actor, and she looks different and sounds different than when she was a famous movie star, acting in movies like Mrs. Doubtfire with Robin Williams. Look at that face. You remind me of Stuart Little, one of the most honorable creatures in all of literature. Do you know that book, Stuart Little? Yeah, it's one of my favorites. Oh, mine too. Or Miracle on 34th Street. Brian, you know what? I know. You know what? The secret. What secret? Santa Claus. I've known for a long time. He's not real. Or playing Matilda in Matilda. Adopt me, Miss Honey! adopt me. Look, I don't have time for all these legalities. One second, Dad. I have the adoption papers. What? Hey, where'd you get those? From a book in the library. I've had them since I was big enough to Xerox. Mara was a big star. Very skilled actor, too. And I remember it was fun to watch those movies because she looked like she was having fun. Um, yes, sometimes it was. I don't know. There were there were a lot of really dark times, too, because I had a lot of issues with mental health. Uh, but it does seem kind of surreal to me sometimes, the things that I went through. And I think it, it was hard for me to accept a lot of the things that I'd gone through and, and sort of understand how cool they were. You have to understand that I have really bad imposter syndrome. I really felt like like nothing I really did mattered to anybody. And the most fun aspects for me, I think, were probably just all the people that I got to know and the places I got to go and these kinds of things. And and that, I think, was was really fun. And I think I eventually kind of got burned out on it. I it, it's it's strange to me to look back. I feel like I was a very unlikely child star. Although a lot of child former child stars I had talked to, they they kind of felt similarly. Like they never particularly wanted to be anybody famous or anything like that. They just wanted to to have this sort of creative outlet and they did and then things kind of took off. <laughs> so it's it's a weird it's a weird complicated thing and and I feel extremely grateful for it and I've I, I had so many wonderful opportunities but I do think it took me a long time to sort of embrace that all and to understand how fortunate I was. Mara grew up in Burbank, California. There are TV and movie studios everywhere in Burbank. It's like the auto industry for growing up in Detroit. 
When she was a baby, Mara, her parents, and her siblings got a unique opportunity. They were, like, looking for families for a toothpaste commercial when we were young. And uh, I think my parents saw that as, like, a good chance to put some money away for college for us. And so we were we were featured in that. And then afterwards, one of my brothers still wanted to keep doing that. So he did it for a little while, and then he, he got tired of it pretty quickly. Uh, and I saw what he was doing, and I didn't get tired of it. I wanted to keep doing it. Mara's parents knew about the entertainment industry. Her dad worked in television. Enough to have mixed feelings about it. So they tested her. They made me do like a mock audition. And then at the end, they said, OK, you didn't get the part. And I said, that's OK. I can just go on another one. <laughs> and they were like, OK, well, she's a bit more resilient than than we thought, uh-huh. uh, because I was I was a very anxious and sensitive kid. I think that a lot of times people assume that if somebody is anxious and sensitive, especially as a child, that they must be very introverted, that they must be very sad all the time, that they must be like this. And and no, that was the thing. I didn't have the mixed blessing of, of introversion and shyness <laughs> to, to kind of keep me from, you know, my own anxieties and social phobias. No, I was I was alternately, you know, I was I was either a sweet, positive child or I was, you know, who wanted to befriend everybody or I was this crying, anxious mess. Mm. And that, I think, made people very confused because I didn't seem to, you know, have a shy bone in my body. And then and then suddenly I I was kind of transformed. When did the anxiety start? Uh, it 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 always was. It never it, it was, never started. It just was. It there. never started. Yeah, it was. It was. You know, there there was no big bang. I mean, it was. Yeah. It was just kind of. I I don't remember not being scared. I, I it was it was little things. I think uh, when I was little, being being afraid to watch a scary movie or something like that, getting scared on, on you know, at little things like getting scared on roller coasters, getting scared at music videos and things on TV, at any kind of reference of any kind of harm or danger. It's normal for kids to get scared by stuff like that, but Mara found she couldn't let it go. I always would be like, why is nobody talking about the fact that the sun is going to burn out? You know, why is why is nobody talking about the fact that a girl was killed by a drunk driver? Why is nobody talking about any of these things? I would worry about these things all the time. And one of my brothers told me that, uh, like, we'd, we'd gone on vacation to Minnesota and there was a shop there. And, and somebody had bought me as a gift a set of these Guatemalan worry dolls. And I, I don't know... You know, it was it was late 80s, early 90s, cultural appropriation. I don't know if they were actually Guatemalan, but the idea is basically you you hold these these worry dolls and you whisper your worries to them and they take them away. And apparently one of my brothers found me at like four years old, like curled up, holding them and crying. And he asked me what was wrong. And I just looked up to him and I said, it's just my worries again. Hmm. And I mean, that's kind of evocative to be four and, yeah. and be, you know, and say it's my worries again. I, I think I always knew on some level that my worries were a little bit weird or at least that other people weren't worried about them. And so that made me wonder, like, is everybody else crazy and I'm the and I'm the one who knows all these things or am I crazy and everybody else is sane? And and, you know, crazy and sane are words that don't actually mean very much. But that was how I perceived things. That was how how I understood things. And I think uh, that was something that I, I struggled with for a really long time is always worrying that I that, you know, my worries were were actually worth worrying about and nobody else was worrying, too. I, I didn't want the responsibility. The worries took on physical symptoms as well. 
I always had a nervous stomach. Like I always had a head problem, a headache, things like that. And so, yeah, so I was I was but I also think that a lot of my anxiety, I think in some ways my anxiety and and my OCD kind of made it made me a better actor when I was a child because I had a really vivid imagination so I could tap into emotions and memories very, very easily. And I I was very sensitive and I would feel sorry for people. And so like I could cry on command and it was great. And I never once used that to get out of trouble in real life because it felt different. I, I was I was compulsively honest in real life, but I was I, I would really lose myself in in a role. I also I also uh, used to like tend to get like words and phrases and things stuck in my head. And because of that, uh, I, I got really good at memorizing lines because I would think <laughs> about the way that things needed to be said and the rhythm of it. And I and I could get that stuck in my head really easily. Was acting a respite from the anxiety? Was it a way of addressing it, like treating it almost? I think in some ways it was. I think that that me performing was. But I do think and I do think that being on sets was kind of it was it was kind of hard, though, because it's so broken up. It's not like on stage where you get this rush for, you know, an hour or two when you're on on the stage. But you get so it's it's broken up. You get it only, you know, a couple minutes at a time. And sometimes it feels hard to get really invested. And I, I think that as I got older, I, I had more of a my, my anxiety sort of manifested as a like a control freak side. So I think that I would get kind of frustrated on set sometimes, especially ones where I didn't have a lot of creative control. And those were a lot of the time because who's going to give creative control to a child? At age six, Mara appeared in Mrs. Doubtfire with Robin Williams. That success led quickly to other TV and movie parts, the remake of Miracle on 34th Street, Melrose Place, and then a pretty special part came along. My mom actually used to read Matilda to my brother's classes, like my brother's English classes, when they were, I think, in maybe like fourth grade. And I remember once I was, I think I, I was a little under the weather. I was, I was, I was sick a lot with a lot of really minor stuff when I was a kid. I had an earache or something. And she took me with her to the school and just set me up on a little blanket in the back of the class. But I was old enough to be able to listen to it and, and listening to my mom play the trunch bowl and playing the part of this really smart little girl who was outsmarting her all of the time. That was something, it was, it was like one of my favorite things from the very beginning, one of my favorite stories. I, I loved it. And so, so I, I really, that character was somebody, I had this like image of who she was in my head and, and felt almost as if that she existed somewhere. So when I when I got the script, I mean, I remember I remember asking if it was like the book and my mom said yes. And what had happened was my agent had called and this was when things were kind of snowballing. My agent was like, we've got so many scripts. We've got this one. We've got this one. We've got this one. We've got Matilda. But I passed on that one. And mom was like, don't pass on that. Don't pass on that. Send that to us. Send that to us. <laughs> and and she sent it to us. And I loved reading it. And uh, and it was it was a great script. In 1995, Mara's mother, Susie Wilson, was diagnosed with breast cancer just before filming started on Matilda. There was so much going on in my family at the time. My, my dad had a full-time job in addition to taking care of my mother, and we were promoting a film, and I had four other siblings to take care of, and there was so much going on that it felt like, it felt like there wasn't time for me to be having a breakdown the way that I was. I want to make sure you caught something in there. And I had four other siblings to take care of. She says she had to take care of them. Mara was the second youngest of five kids. Mara's talking about something that happened when she was seven years old. 
Mara had developed obsessive-compulsive disorder when her mom got sick. You can't walk that on that place. You can't walk on that crack on the sidewalk. You have to jump over the door frames. You have to duck your head under this line in the doorway before you, before you cross, or else you'll you'll feel like your head has been chopped off or something like that. Even though I knew it wasn't going to happen, so there was a lot of there were a lot of times where I would run across the house and I would and I would like be doing these like torgetes across the living room floor because I I was afraid to step on certain cracks or. You know, compulsions are actions. They're things they're things that you do. And, you know, I would take multiple showers a day. Uh, I would take two a day and then I would kind of sponge bath when I came home. And that was usually what it is. And once I remember actually taking three or four a day, my parents were like, my family was like, this is excessive. You really shouldn't be doing that. And I felt really I felt weirdly ashamed, but I didn't really know what to do about it. And the hand washing was a big thing for you, too, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, I would I would wash my hands so much. And I, I carried around hand sanitizer all of the time. I once went through a bottle of hand sanitizer in an evening oh, uh, just because I felt like my hands weren't clean enough. And and I just needed to put it on more and more and more. And uh yeah, and there were there was my hands were always red and chapped and bleeding and they always hurt and we would put ointments and creams and all kinds of things on them but nothing would work. They were always always red and and swollen and chapped and bleeding and dry and it hurt so much but but I didn't really know what else to do. So there was there was uh that was that was something that I really those were compulsions that I really struggled with, compulsions or actions. There were other things, too, like saying certain things or not saying certain things. Or if I sang this song, I would have a good day. If I sang this one, I would have a bad day. Uh, sort of looking for patterns in everything. I had good numbers and bad numbers. First it was the number five was bad. Then it was the number eight was bad. Those OCD symptoms were happening all through the filming of Matilda. When you watch that movie, that's what's going on with that young actor. Matilda is kind of a modern classic. Confident kid with magic powers sticks it to the people who tried to hold her down. But despite what was going on with her mental health, Mara remembers the shoot fondly. She says Danny DeVito, who directed and starred in Matilda, was tremendously caring, as was his wife, Rhea Perlman, who acted in the movie. Susie Wilson died between the time shooting was completed and the film's release. Matilda is dedicated to her. It was after that, it was a few months after we stopped filming, I think, not too long after that, that I started having the really bad anxiety attacks. And, of course, when my mother died, it's just, I mean, it's, it was just a haze of grief and anxiety and misery. And I, I can't even really explain it very well because there's a lot of it that I can't really remember. The anxiety was spiking and the OCD got worse, too. And it's still there. Mara understands it a lot better now. As I got older and, and as I got more treatment, it became more about obsessions. And and uh, obsessions are these sort of the intrusive thoughts that get stuck in your head. What if something terrible happens? What if I do something terrible? And that kind of getting stuck in your head and you sort of wrestling around with it, that is something more that I have now. You know, what if I, what if I say something awful to a friend of mine? What if I hurt their feelings? Mm-hmm. What if I do something something stupid and terrible. What if I jump off a building? What if I, yeah, what if I hurt somebody? And there's also a lot of misunderstanding about what OCD is. So people will say, 
I have thoughts that I'm going to kill myself. I have thoughts that I'm going to hurt my husband. I have thoughts that I'm going to molest a child. I have thoughts that I'm going to set fire to a building and people will be like, oh, that person's an arsonist. And it's like, no, they're not. They're not an arsonist. They're not a child molester. They're not a war criminal. It's just that these are the thoughts that get stuck in their head. Yeah. Intrusive thoughts that start to loop. Yes, exactly. And and the, the very fact that they're afraid of them and that they don't like them, that is something I think that shows that they're they're not going to do these things. People with OCD don't do these things. Yeah. So it's it's I think really I think that's uh, that's something that people kind of don't really want to be or don't really understand or don't really want to face. Uh, I feel like there's a few people out there, like I know Maria Bamford talks about like, what if I'm, you know, what if I'm a genocider Mm -hmm. (laughs) and, and, you know, what if I have to go to genocide jail and then I genocide everybody in the jail? There are people who talk about it, but it's still kind of, it's still kind of uh, pushed off to the side. It's still very misunderstood. So at this point, Mara Wilson had been experiencing an anxiety disorder for years, had a worsening obsessive compulsive disorder. She had lost her mother and she had starred in five movies. She was not yet 10 years old. More in a moment. The Hilarious World of Depression is supported by Health Partners and by MakeItOK.org. Make It OK is a campaign to start conversations and stop the stigma surrounding mental illnesses. Not just depression, all kinds of mental illnesses. We enjoy having some laughs on this show. It's a way of dealing with depression, a way of demystifying it a little bit, making it not so scary. But let's not kid ourselves. This is a serious illness. The good news is that people can and do recover. People get help. And that's why we need to make it okay to talk openly. It can be an awkward conversation, yes, but makeitokay.org is full of information you can use. What to say, what not to say. Stories from people who tell you what it's like to live with depression, anxiety, and other mental illnesses. Go to makeitokay.org where you can take the pledge to make it okay. Thanks so much to Health Partners and to Make It Okay for joining us in fighting stigma so we can all get better. Back with Mara Wilson, when last we left her, she had been through a lot in her life, in her mind, and in her career. Soon after Mara's mother died, she went off to shoot a film called A Simple Wish. She plays a girl who tries to get her fairy godmother, played by Martin Short, to help her dad get the lead in a Broadway musical. Oh, you're unbelievable. Can't you even admit it? Admit what? That you blew it. You totally screwed my wish. I did not. Did too. Did not. It wasn't the smash hit that, say, Matilda was. I was in such a bad place that for a long time I didn't like to think about filming A Simple Wish because I feel like I behaved really poorly on that set. I, I, I think that I behaved very brattily and I feel awful about that. And there's a lot that I don't remember from it. But I also was very fortunate because I was working with Michael Ritchie, who was a really, truly wonderful man. He was the director? Yes, he was the director. He directed, you know, Bad News Bears and a lot of like 70s and 80s, uh, you know, classic movies. And he knew how to work with kids. He understood kids really well. And he had a he had some wonderful children as well who were about my age, who I played with. And sometimes I think back and I and I think of like the moments that I spent with his family or with his kids that summer and and this sort of brief respite from from, you know, from from just the 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 overwhelming misery I was feeling. And so it was hard. It's it's a really bittersweet memory for me, I think, working on that film. And 
my anxiety kind of went on and off for a really long time and things would trigger it like like we would be you know we would have a nanny and I would get really close to her and then she would leave and and I would get really depressed after that you talk about how you're ashamed of how bratty you were but you just lost your mom yeah and I mean and I was I was filming on that set with an extended family member not somebody in my immediate family but but my chaperone guardian for that most of the time was somebody in my extended family who was not very nice and was very much suffering the loss of my mother as well. And so I think that that just kind of made everything worse. Like I was much worse when I was around that person. And and they they were a guardian, but they were acting just as immature, if not more so oh boy. than I was. Yeah. And so I think that that was really, I, I really... There wasn't really much that I could do. And I, I I do think now there's a lot of people that I want to reach out to. There's there's friends that I would refuse to see because because they'd set off my anxiety in some way. And and I'm still I still feel deeply ashamed and wish I could explain to them what was going on. And in my experience, like I recently reconnected with um, with Francis Capra, who what played my who played my brother in A Simple Wish and and. We had this talk and I told him, I'm sorry, I was going through so much stuff at that age. And because we had this sort of love-hate relationship and it was kind of brother-sisterly, brother actually. And I remember, and he was like, no, I was too, you know, I was pubescent. I was a show-off. I was this and that. And I told him, I was like, I was like, I'm, I'm really sorry. And I wish that things had been a little easier for both of us. And he was like... And he was like, yeah, but, you know, I'm always going to love you as my sister. And I was like, and, and I'm always going to love you as my brother, too. Like, it was, it was really, it felt so nice to to have people be like, no, you were going through things. You were fine. Yeah. And understanding that. And I, I also reconnected with, with uh, Michael Ritchie, who unfortunately passed away. His family, I've reconnected with his daughters, and they were so welcoming and so forgiving and have so many happy memories of the times we spent together that it, it really reminds me that, Maybe I wasn't as bad as I thought I was. Maybe maybe other people understand. And that, I think, is something that makes me want to tell other people out there. Mental illness, it, it's it's not an excuse, but it is an explanation. Sure. And that, I think, is, is something important. And I think people, people are going to be far more understanding than you think. So on this season of our show, we're trying to shed some light on the conditions that go along with depression. Depression is rarely a solo artist. It's usually part of a band. That was the case with Mara Wilson, too. Depression kind of came as like, and it always has been sort of almost like a side effect of my OCD, just because OCD is so draining and exhausting. But I mean, I had I had PTSD and I had I had depression when my mother died. And and depression is kind of different for me. For me, I think that a lot of my things usually kind of manifest as anxiety. But but depression has kind of always also come and gone. And uh, with me, it's it's usually it's usually caused by some kind of outside force or or complicated by it. I don't think that I ever just had depression the way the, that a lot of people do. But, yeah, I guess it would, it would probably happen around the same time that everything else happened. Mara's movie career wound down and her assorted mental health issues held on. And then it was time for middle school. Middle school, lockers, social cliques, mental health issues. It got really bad, I think, when I was in middle school. And that is when I actually, that is eventually when I got treatment. Uh, 
But it would it would wax and wane. There would be days and weeks where I would just be totally fine, and then there would be days and weeks where I could not function. And and my my quirks kind of changed, and and my compulsions would change. And I I think that it is true that a lot of children, when they're in that sort of concrete operational stage, you know, like seven to ten years old, they get really anxious about things. But I remember thinking to myself, like, I'm in middle school now and I'm still scared. Am I going to be this scared when I'm 30 years old? Am I going to be this scared forever? Should I even live? Should I even live anymore? Should I just kill myself? Which is, I mean, to to imagine now, like, an 11 or 12-year-old I know saying that to themselves, it's it's heartbreaking. And I think that I didn't really realize how sad it all was. Uh, you know, when I was writing, when I was writing my book, there's a chapter about OCD in my book. There's an essay about it. And I, I look back, like, on when I was writing that, I, I broke down crying because I was finally seeing my experiences as that of, you know, a little girl going through something really difficult as opposed to just something that happened to me in the past. And, yeah, it was difficult, but whatever. And it wasn't special movie star middle school. It was like the same sometimes horrible places that you and I went to middle school. Because my parents wanted me to be normal, and I wanted to be normal. I I think that there was there was, and I did have a little bit of this not like not like the I'm not like the other child actors kind of thing where it was like you need to be better behaved. You need to. There was a lot of pressure on me, but also like I said, I had I had really bad imposter syndrome. I didn't take much pride in the things that I I did, and when people would congratulate me or would recognize me on the street, I would be like. I'd be like, what are you recognizing me for? It it didn't feel like anything big to me. And I think that's partly because my parents wanted to keep me down to earth and also because I I grew up in a place where being a child actor was normal. A lot of my friends were child actors. We Some of them went to my school. Some of them were homeschooled, but we did like charity work together. And and it was just kind of like there were people that, that knew and understood around me. And I didn't really feel like it was the biggest deal. And you did actually get competitions sometimes. Like, I was in children's movies, so uh, I was teased at school because the stuff I was in was babyish. But the kids who were in Gap ads and were models, they were the cool ones in our school. (laughs) You're Matilda. Doesn't that count for anything? <laughs> well, yeah, it, it it mostly meant that people would yell Matilda and then oh, yeah. uh, turn around the run around the corner so that they didn't see me them calling me that. Like that was that was something that happened a lot. Do people still shout Matilda at you just on the street? Sometimes, sometimes. Yeah. Now, now I'm like, now I don't fight it. Now I like turn around. I'm just like, yeah, whatever. I'll respond to it. I mean. <laughs> It was hard for me also. It's hard for when you know when you know who you you don't know who you are because I mean most people don't know who they are when they're when they're you know going through adolescence, but I especially didn't know who I was because I'd spent so much of my life being other people. And I felt like I was being mistaken for Matilda, and I, I didn't really feel worthy of that because I felt like Matilda was much smarter, much braver than I was. And I felt like if anybody ever really knew the real me who is who is scared and angry, and sad all of the time. They wouldn't want anything to do with me. So so I struggled with that for a really long time. I felt kind of like I was living in Matilda's shadow. I read a quote recently from Carrie Fisher who said that she used to struggle with the idea of Princess Leia, but uh, she feels like the two of them kind of became one over time. And I that's kind of how I feel too. Like, I feel like, like I've sort of accepted, you know, Matilda as, as this sort of archetypal role model for myself and and somebody that I want to try to pay tribute to and to respect. And 
and I mean, I think about this all the time with people who play like really like like people who play like like superheroes. I'm like, do people really think that you're Superman or you're Captain Marvel or you're Captain America or, or Batman or whatever? Like, do you feel like you need to live up to that? Do you feel like because because I definitely feel like I need to live up to Matilda. And, and you know, when you're a child and you're trying to you're, you need to make mistakes and you want to be able to grow and you feel like you can't because you're always put up on this pedestal. That's really, really hard. I also think it's probably why the a lot of like the the first people I dated were either child actors or had never seen Matilda. Do you think your mental health would have been any different today had you never gone into acting at all? Yeah, I think it would be. I think that from a practical standpoint, I think that i'm I'm very privileged because it allowed me to go to. Uh, a boarding school for the visual and performing arts that I really loved. It it allowed me to go to a, a very expensive university uh, where I, I had I, I was in a wonderful program, Playwrights Rise and Theater School, and it allowed me to you know when I was struggling through the, the recession to to at least have like a cushion there. I mean I'm not. I'm 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 not a billionaire and I'm never going to be. I don't I don't like the idea of billionaires, but I'm not super wealthy. I'm not any of these things, but I I am able to have a life for myself on on my terms whereas a lot of people I know are not. But I do also think there's other things that I mean I do think like my body dysmorphia would be <laughs> would be less of an issue if I if I hadn't been in Hollywood because I wouldn't have been judging myself against what critics said and what media people said and what press people said and what random strangers on the internet said because nobody would know what I looked like. I would I would just be, you know, I would I would be just an, a normal average looking person. It wouldn't be disappointing to people that I'm not a supermodel, you know, and that's something that whereas now, like, I feel like I meet people sometimes and, you know, if they just see me out and about in a regular day, they're disappointed that I'm not tall and beautiful and all of these things that I that I look just like an average person. And and I, I feel like I'm disappointing them. And that makes me sad because my appearance is is my business. And also, like, I'm a lot of other things. Why do I have to be <laughs> unnaturally beautiful, too? That's not that's not that's not what I do. That's not what I have to be. And I think everybody has a past like that. Everybody's like, oh, this terrible thing happened and I'm sad that it happened. But at least it made me a stronger person or at least it made me a little bit more wise about the world or things like that. That's that's something, you know, that's something I encounter a lot with other women who lost their mothers or other people who've been through anxiety or trauma or something like that. They wouldn't ever want to go through it again, but they're glad for the things that it taught them. Mara grew up and turned her focus from acting to writing, as evidenced by her memoir, Where Am I Now? True Stories of Girlhood and Accidental Fame, and her Twitter handle, at Mara Writes Stuff. She's found good therapy and good mental health practices. She manages her mental health, but she's not cured. She didn't simply grow out of it. That's not how mental health works. And the grief of her mother's death, the trauma, is still with her. I mean, I've heard of that analogy or that 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 allegory of of it's a ball in a box and there's a ball bouncing around a box and there's a there's a, a button on it and the ball is going to press that button. Uh, and at first, the ball is in a very small box, and then the box gets bigger and bigger and bigger, so there's more space for it to jump around. But 
it's de- it's going to hit that button sometimes. Yeah. And when and there. when grief, yeah, and when grief is, and this isn't me. This is like somebody's therapist, and who said it, and like they posted it on Twitter, or Instagram, or something. But it's it's uh, and and that's the thing. When it's at first, it just feels like that ball is constantly pressing that button, and then it gets a little bigger and bigger and bigger. But you also don't know. The thing about grief is you don't know when it's going to sneak up on you. Like a couple months ago, I started crying because I missed my grandfather who died when I was 13. Or I'll just think about my mother and get caught up in that, even though a lot of the time I can think of her and 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 not be sad. It's it's very odd. And so I, I think that. But, yeah, these these aren't things. It, it, that's just not the way that it works. You know, it's it's always with you. It's something you carry with you all of the time. Mara Wilson is 32 now, and with age, if we are fortunate and work hard, comes wisdom. She's learned about factors that were in play when it came to her mental health. I also know that my mother had come from a family with a lot, a lot of, you know, inherited Ashkenazi Jewish trauma and a lot of mental illness in response to that. And I think she might have, she didn't, probably didn't want to believe that I was sick the way that a lot of people in her family had been, too. Was there OCD in her family? I don't know if there was. I mean, on the other side of the family, we have we have a lot of <laughs> we have a lot of trauma and sad stories from Ireland. Sure. <laughs> so a lot of a lot of poverty and depression on that side of the family and and a lot of a lot of uh, on the other side of the family, there's a lot of bipolar disorder and, and things like that. So a lot of mood disorders and and such and a lot of a lot of people kind of being told to get over it and and having to to just kind of get through things and then it all kind of coming up later you know trauma trauma is inherited it's yeah. it's a difficult thing and so and probably i i do feel like probably the things that kept my jewish ancestors alive back in the old country you know being on edge all the time right that kind of stuff yeah it it doesn't it doesn't really when you're when you're in a place in a country that's that's slightly more safe, although I would say that's debatable these days, but feeling like you are the same way that, you know, your great-great-grandmother did when she was facing down pogroms and things like that, it's it's the same kinds of survival skills, I think, that manifest as anxiety. That's that's something that I believe. I don't know if that's based in, in reality, but that's that's a hypothesis that I have. I think it is because trauma gets handed down and, and that yeah. sort of, uh, I better run away and protect myself or I better anticipate the worst possible way this could go. Yeah, Those, exactly. Those at one point in either a person's life or in a person's family have had been very useful skills. You know, you really those come in very, very handy. It's just that you can't stop when it's no longer that much of an emergency. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of the most anxious people in my family are really, really great in emergencies. Yeah, I bet. My sister is is pretty anxious, too. And she's worked as a live in caretaker for an elderly woman with dementia. And she she takes care of her so well. And when there's any kind of health issue, she is just 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 totally takes care of it and is is very good and very relaxed and very able to do that. But then on a normal day, you know, she and I will both be really anxious about something. I'll have to remind her, like, you're doing something that's really scary, that's really hard to do, that can involve a lot of emergencies, and and you do it really well. I have to remind her of that and, and that she has that gift. And I think that that's something that a lot of anxious people have. I mean, I've known a lot of anxious people who worked as EMTs or emergency room doctors or things like that. Or I, I know one guy who does, who does uh, like, a psych admitted uh, at, at ERs. And, you know, they're all very anxious people. 
But when it comes right down to it, it's it's almost as if when an emergency happens, they're stepping up and going, OK, this is what I've been preparing for all of my life. Right. right. My my metabolism is already up here. So exactly. You know, I'm, exactly. I'm right. Just drop me in. Today, Mara does all kinds of things, even a little acting. She appears on the podcast Welcome to Night Vale as the faceless old woman who secretly lives in your home. She plays a spider on BoJack Horseman, and here she is on Big Hero 6, the series, as a tech billionaire. I don't see Sycorax as just another biotech company. Mother Nature is an artist. And I see myself as her protege, studying and even improving on her work. Inspiring. I favor a holistic approach. to Mara says she's open to doing more acting work. She likes acting, but she's unwilling to throw herself into the profession as her only thing. I think that being in acting again would would kind of destroy me. It would kind of make me miserable. And and I think that that's something that people don't really realize is I don't want to do that again. I don't want to have to put myself through that constant rejection. You know, that constant rejection didn't matter to me when I was a child and it wouldn't be paying my bills. But but getting that constant rejection now would be really frustrating and and really upsetting. And I don't like the idea of having to change who I am too much. You know, I don't like the idea of having to have a ton of cosmetic surgery or having to always lose weight uh, for a role and having to always do this and having to always do that and 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 change myself. I don't want that to be a thing. So so I think that it's it's better for my mental health if I don't. The Hilarious World of Depression is a production of American Public Media. Our producer is Chrissy Pease. Christina Lopez is our producer for Digital Things. We all kind of edit the show, but Phyllis Fletcher is our editor. Does that make sense? Yeah, we're a team, you know? Our recording engineer this time around was John Miller. Our technical director, Corey Schreppel. Our theme song was written and performed by Rhett Miller. If you need help, confidential help is available at the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-8255. It's free, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 1-800-273-8255. The Hilarious World of Depression is supported by Health Partners and MakeItOK.org. Make It OK is a campaign to start conversations and stop the stigma around mental illnesses. MakeItOK.org has information that can help you and your loved ones. Starting a conversation on this topic can be awkward, but Make It Okay has tips on what to say and what not to say, stories of hope from people who have been there. You can take the pledge to Make It Okay at makeitokay.org. Hilariousworld.org is our web home. We're also on Twitter. And come visit us on Facebook. A lot of great conversation there happening with your fellow thwadballs. On our next episode, author and blogger Heather B. Armstrong nearly dies on purpose with the help of doctors in order to feel better. And she does feel better. I ask for help all the time now. It's hard. It's something yeah. I work on constantly. But I do find myself going, can you please help me? <laughs> <laughs> as the words sort of like tremble as they come out of my mouth. I'm John Moe. Bye now. God says, Doc, that's the problem. What if I was to tell you I'm Pagliacci? This great big smile is just for show. What if I was to tell you this is just grease paint? 
Say I'm a hopeless case Say it ain't so Would you say I'm a sad clown Tell me something I don't know Would you say I'm a sad clown Tell me something I don't know Would you say I'm a sad clown Tell me something I don't know